Well, hello, friends. This is Doug Scheibel, and welcome again to the Premature Bible Institute. I'm very grateful for you to be here. Uh, we appreciate so much your uh, attentiveness to all this and, and just being a part of it. Um, we've really done an awful lot in, a, in this amount of time, and we're going to be uh, talking about some things here that I think are very, very important. One of those things is uh, we're finishing up the story of Joseph. And if you remember right, I was talking about, uh, I've kind of entitled these uh, particular lessons, uh, How God Continues His Redemptive Plan Through Joseph. And as we go through the Old Testament, as we were going through all those different lessons we've learned up to this point, we have seen that where God continues his redemptive plan. Even though Adam and Eve had sinned in the beginning there, when in the garden, now all of a sudden God can, uh, provides a redemptive plan, which is the he tells her that the seed of the woman would one day be the delivery. He didn't say in quite those words, but we know from other scriptures that's what he was talking about. But uh, one day a deliverer would come and take care of this issue. And then we see no matter what man does, no matter what Satan tries to do, no matter what it is, God is never thwarted in that matter. He always has a way in which the the line of the deliverer is going to be uh, continued. And so we've been talking up to this point. We've come through that. We've gone through the flood. We've gone through the Tower of Babel. Uh, we've gone with Abraham leaving his family, with him offering his son Isaac, and so on, and and uh, all the different things. And now we come up to uh, Jacob, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and all the different things. And now we've led up to Joseph. How and and we know what happened to him. The story of Joseph's life is just an amazing, amazing story of what God has done and shows Himself to be who He is. Uh, one of the first things that happens, He's brought out of prison. Now. Let me go back just a bit. First of all, we see him, he's thrown into a pit. And he's thrown into a pit. You'd think, okay, that's going to be the end of this whole thing. Uh, sure, God could bring, was going to bring the line through, actually through Judah. But Jacob had an important part. And as we go on, we're going to see what that is. And uh, we learned a little bit in the last lesson about that, uh, what that how he was going to start uh, providing a way for the deliverer to uh, continue on. So um, he he's, uh, gets sold into slavery. He goes into Potiphar's house, who is the captain of the Pharaoh's guard. He does really, really well, and so well in the house that only Potiphar was more powerful in his household than Joseph was. And so uh, Joseph managed his house. The crops grew well. Everything prospered under Joseph's hand. And, of course, jo uh, Potiphar's wife accuses Joseph of immorality towards her, which was a lie. And he gets thrown into prison. But when he goes into prison, what does he do there? Same thing. He prospers. Everything prospers under his hand. He manages everything well. He gives good advice, shows what to do. And he becomes the leader of the prison apart from the captain who's in there. So Joseph there is like second in command. And then comes a situation where Pharaoh uh, has uh, two, these two dreams. And the people can't uh, figure out what's going on. Uh, his sorcerers, his magicians, uh, all the different thing, people, wise men. They couldn't figure out what was going on. But then the baker, I'm sorry, the cupbearer says, oh, man, it's my wrong. It is my bad here. He says, I had a, there was a guy in prison, a Hebrew guy, who interpreted mine and the uh, baker's dreams. And both of our dreams were fulfilled exactly as he said they would be. And so Pharaoh says, well, bring this guy to me. What can, what can, how can it hurt, you know, for him to come to me? So he brings, now you got to remember something. There was no anti-Semitism at this point. 
uh, because there were only 70 people possibly at this point that are from the line of Abraham. So it isn't like they had this huge reputation of being uh, powerful or, or had their own country or anything like that. They were just a group, a family line, a clan, if you want to put it that way. Twelve sons, one daughter, uh, Jacob had, and so on. So anyway, so um, uh, Joseph is brought out of prison. He's cleaned up, brought before Pharaoh to tell him or try to interpret his dreams. And if you remember what Joseph told him, he says, I can't do this. He says, it's not for me to interpret. Um, what it is, God will interpret it. And I'll just tell you what he says. And so Joseph wasn't taking any credit. So he brought him out to interpret his dreams. And Joseph told Pharaoh what those dreams meant. And he talked to the, and to get away, just not to go through the whole story again, but let's just go with the interpretation of it. Joseph's conclusion after hearing those dreams that this thing was going to come to pass, what he was going to tell him, as sure as rain, it was going to come to pass. And so what he said was that for seven years, there's going to be plenty. Everything is going to be great. The crops are going to produce like you wouldn't believe. They are going to be putting out more than the people can possibly eat and so on. But at the end of seven years, then it's going to reverse and go the opposite direction. There's not going to be harvesting or any plowing or anything because the land's going to be dry. There's going to be a severe drought. The winds, there's going to be a famine in the land. He says, so what you need to do uh, is, uh, and he, he gives his plan for how this thing should be taken care of, what should happen so that they don't, um, so that they survive the seven years of hardship. It's not, they're not worried about surviving the seven years of good times. It's the seven years of hardship that they're going to be um, going through. So uh, Pharaoh, as a result of hearing this, he says, has anybody else have the spirit of God like this guy does? So Pharaoh put Joseph in charge of what I call the famine project. And so Pharaoh puts Joseph in charge and he doesn't just put him in charge of the project. He puts him in charge of all of Egypt. He says, only on the th- in the throne am I going to be more powerful than you. So Joseph, everybody, he said, he, the Pharaoh said that everybody in the country was going to bow the knee to Joseph. He would be as Pharaoh himself, uh, except he wouldn't be Pharaoh quite. So here's Joseph. I often wondered, I wonder what Potiphar was thinking through all of this. And I'm sure that Joseph uh, was gracious to Potiphar and, and understood all the things that were going on. And Potiphar knew that this thing was of the Lord. So Pharaoh puts Joseph in charge of the famine project. So um, Pharaoh, like I said, puts Joseph in charge of all of Egypt. Only Pharaoh himself would be more powerful. And Pharaoh uh, also gave Joseph a wife, and she was a daughter of the high priest there and, and so on. And then so what happens then? Joseph starts doing his work. The, he, he, he starts doing his thing, which is he starts preparing, organizing, doing all the things, gathering the, the, the um, grain and everything and packing them, putting them in bins. And it was growing so much after a while that they, they couldn't even count it. He quit counting it. It was so much. So that's how prosperous it was. And then the famine begins. That's when everything shifted. So everything's going great for seven years. They're saying, wow, this guy really knows what he's doing. Wonder why he's saving so much grain, you know, and they probably knew, but I'm sure it was hard for people to believe or have grain taken from them and be put away and so on that they couldn't use themselves. But he knew what was coming. And so then the famine begins. So let's read here, Genesis 41, verses 53 to 57. 
Then the seven years of plenty which were in the land of Egypt ended, and the seven years of famine began to come, as Joseph had said. So in other words, he's, he's saying this is what God said would happen, now it's happening. The famine was in all lands, not just Egypt, but everywhere around. Okay, so this was a major, major famine, uh, probably throughout the whole Middle East, uh, as we would call it today. The famine was in all the lands, but in all the land of Egypt there was bread. So Egypt, because they had planned ahead. Now, uh, before I go any further, I want to remind you of something. Remember what I said about sin? I says, sin never affects uh, sorry, sin never affects just the person who's doing the sin. It affects everyone around them. But so does righteousness. And by Joseph's righteousness, by, by acting righteously, he affected everyone around him also. Everybody benefited benefited from that. You know, the, there's a passage in Scripture that says, Righteousness exalts a nation, but sin is a reproach to any people. And that's the whole point. Righteous people affect everyone around them in a good way, even people that aren't righteous. But an unrighteous person will also affect everyone around them and not in a positive way. Okay? So, um, uh, let's see. But in all the land of Egypt there was bread. So Egypt was benefiting from what Joseph was doing. So when all the land of Egypt was famished, in other words, when they had run out of their what they had saved up for themselves, the people cried to Pharaoh for bread. Then Pharaoh said to all the Egyptians, Go to Joseph. Whatever he says to you, do. The famine was over all the face of all the earth, and Joseph opened up all the storehouses and sold it to the, uh, sold to the Egyptians. And the famine became severe in the land of Egypt. So all countries came to Joseph in Egypt to buy grain because the famine was severe in all lands. So see, it didn't benefit just the Egyptians, but now the Egyptians were a benefit to the other people around them. So everybody was coming to Joseph. Joseph became, in, in, in practical aspects, the king of Egypt. And so he was managing all of this. So <clears throat> now you've got the situation here. People are starting to come. And now God's plan starts to unfold. We start seeing it in a practical way. So Genesis chapter 42, verses 1 through 3, and then verses 6 through 8 say this. When Jacob's, now we're talking about Jacob, which is Joseph's father, who thinks Jacob is dead, or I mean, who thinks Joseph is dead. So when Jacob saw that there was grain in Egypt, Jacob said to his sons, why do you look at one another? And he said, indeed, I have heard that there is grain in Egypt. Go down to that place and buy for us there, that we may live and not die. So Joseph's ten brothers went down to buy grain in Egypt. So Jacob had given them money to go down to buy grain in Egypt. The, who were they? They were just ten guys, nobodies, you know, that went to buy just like everybody else did. So that's what they did. They went down. They weren't trying to get something for nothing or beg. They were going to pay for this grain. And then it says this, <clears throat> Now Joseph was governor over the land, and it was he who sold to all the people of the, of the land. Okay, so they're coming to Egypt, but they're going to have to come before Joseph, not knowing that Joseph is alive. They're just going to do that. And Joseph's brother came, brothers came and bowed down before him with their faces to the earth. Joseph saw his brothers and recognized them, but he acted as a stranger to them and spoke roughly to them. Then he said to them, where do you come from? And they said, from the land of Canaan to buy food. So Joseph recognized his brothers, but they did not recognize him. 
probably for a couple of reasons. One is they would never have thought that Joseph was alive. Second, they never would have considered that he could be second in Egypt, as powerful he is. And probably, too, just the way he dressed, his mannerisms, even probably his makeup or however they dressed themselves, that might have been disguising who he was also. So in any event, the brothers didn't recognize him, but he recognized them. So he spoke roughly to them because he doesn't want them to recognize who he is, okay? Uh, So Joseph then, you know, he's remembering his dreams. And so what does he do? He decides to test his brothers. And so uh, uh, he tests them in this way and tries to find out what their motives are for what they're doing. And I think he probably wanted to see if they had truly repented of what they had done, whether there was any remorse for what they had done to their brother Joseph. And so he tests them, gives them a little bit of this. But then as uh, after he got done with them, he sent them on their way. He told them, okay, they, they paid him for the grain. But what Joseph did, <clears throat> which they didn't know, is he had his uh, guards put the money back in the sacks of grain. And the brothers didn't know it was in there. So they get back to Canaan. And when they get back there, they find this money in there. When they find it, what Joseph or Jacob says, what in the world's happened here? Did you steal this stuff or what? You know, and and no, I said, no, we didn't know. We paid him and he said everything. We don't know why it's here. And But see, but while they were there, and I got to say this because I, I can't go through the whole story and read everything. But while they were there, he was asking about uh, his, uh, his family. And he was asking these guys personal stuff. He was wanting to find out what, about them, if his father was still alive, and all the different things that were going on about Benjamin and everything. But he had to do it in a way that they wouldn't suspect who he was. And so he was asking him on there, and they, they told him about he had a father. And he says, we're one of 12 uh, sons. And uh, but he says, but there's only 10 of you. And he says, well, we have another son, and he's our father is kind of old, and he, he needs his son there with him. So we kept him. And so Joseph sent him on their way. And But he said, uh, I want to see, uh, if you come back again, I want you to bring your little brother with him. And they said, oh, no, we can't do that. You know, this would just be so hard for our father. And so he says, well, I'm going to keep one of you here until you do come back and buy some more. So he kept Simeon in prison there. Uh, I'm sure it wasn't a hard prison, but it was still prison. He was locked up, wasn't allowed to go anywhere. So the family goes back. They tell Jacob all the situation and this thing. And so they stayed along until they got done with the food. And then when they were getting done with that food or getting low, Jacob recognized, says, uh, the brother, the sons, uh, sons of Jacob tell him, he says, we need to go back and we got to have food. He says, you're not going back. He says, you're not taking uh, Benjamin with you. And he says, but if we don't go back, we're going to die, even Benjamin and all this. And so... He relented and said, okay, take him, but bring him back. But don't bring him, you bring him back because this would kill me if I did. So anyway, that's basically what's going on. I'm not, I'm not quoting verbatim here. So anyway, so they all go back, take Benjamin with them. They go before Joseph again. And they tell him this whole story and everything. And Simeon gets out of prison. And uh, what um, uh, Joseph did is he sent them back with more grain, I think twice, I can't remember, I just have to read it again, but he sent them back with more grain and put the money back in their sacks again. But this time he did something else. He put the king's cup uh, in one of the in Benjamin's bag. 
so it would make it look like Benjamin was the one that stole it. And so what happened was, as they were leaving, all of a sudden the guards came up after him. They brought him back before Pharaoh and said, why did you do what you did? And they said, what do we do? It says, you stole from the king. And why? We didn't do that. And they cut the sack open, Benjamin's sack, and there's that cup that falls down on the ground. And they are just beside themselves. They don't know what to do. They said, listen, if we don't go back with our brother, he says, it will kill our father. He's he's old and he he couldn't take it anymore. And he was just, they were just begging him to to." They just they says keep us, but don't don't have our father die like this. So then then comes the crisis here, and Genesis forty five verses one through nine it says this. Then Joseph could not restrain himself before all those who stood by him, talking about the other Egyptians, and he cried out, "Make everyone go out for me!" You know, so all the Egyptians had to leave, and only Joseph and his brothers were left there. So no one stood with him while Joseph made himself known to his brothers. And he wept aloud, and the Egyptians and the house of Pharaoh heard it. Then Joseph said to his brother, to his brothers, I am Joseph. Does my father still live? But his brothers could not answer him, for they were dismayed in his presence. I mean, can you imagine what they're thinking? Well, how could this guy know? By Why is he saying he's Joseph, you know, going on? He says they were dismayed in his presence. Then Joseph said to his brothers, Please come near to me. So they came near. Then he said, I am Joseph, your brother, whom you sold into Egypt. But now do not therefore be grieved nor angry with yourselves because you sold me here. For God sent me before you to preserve life. For these two years the famine has been in the land. So this is uh, uh, the seven years of plenty now plus two more, which is the famine. For these, um, for these two years, the famine has been in the land, and there are still five years in which there will be neither plowing nor harvesting. And God sent me before you to preserve a posterity for you in the earth and to save your lives by a great deliverance. And when he talks about preserving a posterity, if you're not sure what that word means, it means a lineage, uh, a line of descendants, uh, your ancestors, not your ancestors, but your, your descendants. So that that line, that family line would continue on. That's what posterity means. So, uh, and God sent me before you to preserve a posterity for you in the earth and to save your lives by a great deliverance. What? Okay. So now it was not you who sent me here, but God. And he has made me a father to Pharaoh and Lord of all his house and a ruler throughout all the land of Egypt. Hurry and go up to my father and say to him, Thus says your son Joseph, God has made me Lord of all Egypt. Come down to me. Do not tarry. Do not waste any time. Get here as quickly as you can. So it's interesting, isn't it, what he says here? Uh, He says, he sent me before you to preserve a posterity for you in the earth. Um, What was the name of the, the title of this one? God continues his redemptive plan through Joseph. And that's exactly what he's doing. The redemptive plan has not finished. It's continuing on. God sent Joseph into Egypt, not so Joseph would survive, but so that the family line would survive. The lineage, the the, the line of the Redeemer was continuing on and on and on and on. And here's another amp. So see, Satan could bring uh, a um, good times. He could bring bad times, whatever. But God was going to work through it all no matter what. God always wins. Satan never wins. 
Nature doesn't win. Nothing wins except God. And we win when we agree with him and fall in line with his uh, ideas and plans. So he, he tells him, he says, man, I am so happy to see you guys. He says, don't worry about this. There's no, I'm not going to hold this against you. I know what God was doing. God was preserving me so he could preserve you. And so, see, that's that's the point. Jo- uh, Joseph didn't have to see the future. He just knew who was there in the future already. The eternal God, the high and lofty one who inhabits eternity, whose name is holy. That's who was there. And he knew that if God is good, then he could look out into the future and see the goodness of whatever came up, even the years of famine. See, the years of famine brought them to him. Otherwise, they never would have come, would they? So Joseph could have treated them like they deserved, couldn't he? he if he wanted to, uh, they would just, uh, uh, which would be, that would be just for him to do that. But what was Joseph? Joseph was gracious. And remember about being gracious. To be gracious means that you do what you do because you want to, not because you have to or are compelled to do it. You do it because it's your nature to do it. You want to do it. That's what God is. God was exhibiting the nature of God in this. And it was the same way with God in the Garden of Eden, wasn't it? God didn't have to provide for Adam and Eve. He could have said, okay, that's the end of it. I told you what was going to happen when you ate the fruit from the tree of knowledge of good and evil. But he didn't. He did do uh, uh, aspects of that were true, but he was providing a way out also for them. And he provided one day a deliverer would come. Now, like I said, I came, I think I said in the last lesson, but uh, Pharaoh gave Joseph a name, an Egyptian name, and the name is Zaphonath Panea. I don't know if that's how you pronounce it for sure, but that's what it looks like. So Zaphonath Panea. And the interesting thing, even Pharaoh, in his in God in his sovereignty, is telling Pharaoh what to call Joseph. And that name in Egyptian literally means savior. And just what, what a blessing it was. So what did his brothers do uh, as a result of this? So let's see here in Genesis chapter 45, verses 25 through 28. Then they went up out of Egypt and came to the land of Canaan to Jacob, their father. And they told him, saying, Joseph is still alive, and he is governor over all the land of Egypt. And Jacob's heart stood still because he did not believe them. Why would he believe them? They told him he died. They told him he was killed. All right. He didn't believe him. But when they told him all the words which Joseph had said to them, and when he saw the carts which Joseph had sent to carry him, the spirit of Jacob, their father, revived. Then Israel uh, said, it is enough. Joseph, my son, is still alive. I will go and see him before I die. Now, once again, I want to kind of come back here just a second here. I forgot to mention this a little bit before about bringing Benjamin down there. Benjamin had big significance to, to uh, Jacob or to Israel because Jacob uh, had married Rebe- uh, Isaac, um, sorry Jacob and Rachel. Rachel was his favorite of his wives. He had four wives. He had Rachel and Leah, and then he had the two handmaids of both of those women. And so Rachel was his favorite. And so Rachel's had two sons. One was Joseph. One was Benjamin. So uh that meant a lot. So when he said, Joseph, my son, is still alive, I will go and see him before I die. That meant a lot to him. I mean, it's just like his strength came back, and he was just probably overjoyed. Um, and then it says here in verses 5 through 7 of chapter 46, 
Then Jacob arose from Beersheba, and the sons of Israel carried their father Jacob, their little ones, and their wives in the carts which Pharaoh had sent to carry him. So they took their livestock and their goods, which they had acquired in the land of Canaan, and went to Egypt, Jacob and all his descendants with him, his sons and his sons' sons, his daughters and his sons' daughters, and all the descendants he brought with him to Egypt. So the whole kit and caboodle, the whole family line just packed up and moved to Egypt. All right? I didn't tell you everything in this story because the, the emphasis in this first time through is really redemption and re- the redemptive work that God is trying to, to accomplish here through all this. Not trying, that it will accomplish through all this. But see, this is part of it. It's part of the redemptive plan. So why would they leave the land that God promised them to go to Egypt? And we'll see this as time goes on. So I want to just mention some things here about how our perspective, our perspective is we see the present. That's what we see. But God sees eternity because he's there. There isn't anywhere he isn't. He's in eternity. He dwells in eternity. So we see the present, but God sees everything else. Yeah, not everything else, but he sees eternity. So he knows the present, the past, the future, all at the same time. We understand the now, but God understands everything. He doesn't understand just what's going to happen. He understands what needs to happen and everything. So it's really pretty neat. Man can be cruel, but God is always good. See, man's intentions, can he can do cruel things or appear to be cruel because of a cruel motive. But God doesn't do it, doesn't, isn't a cruel God. He doesn't just mete out cruelty just for the sake of meeting it out. What his purpose is to is that uh, he is always trying to, his goodness will always come out. And in eternity in the future, we'll look back on there and we'll see that the goodness of God is what leads us to repentance. So that's what he's doing. The descendants of Jacob or Israel would be called Israelites or the children of Israel or just plain Israel. That's interesting. I don't I don't know understand myself personally why, but you see this going back and forth between calling him Israel and Jacob and Israel and Jacob. It's the same person and and why the reference between the two I, I don't quite understand, but that's just the way it is, you know. It's the still the same person, you know. And uh, in conclusion, Joseph was treated cruelly, but Joseph responded gracefully. That's the neat thing about him. His brothers made him a slave, but God made him a king. (laughs) I just love that. His brothers made a prophet on Joseph, but Joseph was a prophet to his family. And that's the kind of a neat thing about it, isn't it? God is good. God will make you a prophet to others. But righteous people affect all other people righteously. Evil people affect other people adversely in, in a way that's not uh, good for them. God is good. God is perfect. God knows everything. He cannot do anything that will not work towards that end of redemption. And he knows everything. So we can trust him, and he is worth trusting. It's an amazing thing to think about. Well, that's the end of this lesson. So what we're going to do here is we're going to end and just say, Listen, once again, just want to remind you, if you know anybody who wants to listen to this, and if you want to continue on, please subscribe. It helps uh, with some other things. I don't get any profit on this. I don't want any, uh, no money or anything like that. But what it does, it will help me to just know, uh, encourage me on uh, that I'm, that it's worthwhile and doing what I'm doing. But uh, just uh, remember, once again, if you want to watch it on um, 
uh, Facebook. You just go on to Facebook and type in my name, Doug Scheibel, and pass that on to other people, S-C-H-A-I-B-L-E. And also, um, um, let's see, what am I saying? And also on if on podcast, if you want to listen to it on an audio podcast, just go to your favorite podcast and uh, and um, uh, just look up pre- the Premature Bible Institute. And so that's enough for this week, but we'll talk to you again next week. Take care. Bye.